So here's something about me. If at all possible, every time, I will take the voucher. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you've never traveled with me on airlines. Because if at all possible, if they walk onto that airplane and they say, or we're before we're about to get on this airplane, and they go, hey, we've overbooked this flight, and we need some people to stay behind, and we'll give you these vouchers. I'm like, I'm in. Every time. Now, some of you, that makes you cringe. But for some of us, as a matter of fact, so much were uh, kids were younger and had gone up to see family in Seattle. And the kids were, uh, kids were younger, and we're all four sitting on the airplane. And somebody walks onto the airplane, and they say, hey, we've overbooked this flight. We really need four people. And it was just crazy because I'm like, oh, there's four of us in the family. We need four people if they're willing to uh, stay behind and go home the next day, and we'll give you $800 vouchers each. Now, I'm going, that's at least 500 bucks right there. So, I mean, I know that that's a lot of $800 each. So I look at the family, I'm like, we're off. We're off the plane. And my daughter, Rebecca, she's the youngest one, and she, she doesn't like this type of, no, Dad, I want to go home. I get, we got off the plane, and what I told her, I said, you don't understand. This paid for your next two vacations because we don't travel this much. And so now we get to go different places. And I like it so much so that when we got home after that thing, I bought all of us little carry-on luggage. And I, I teach my kids when we travel, this is what you need to do. You pack everything you need in the carry-on, and then all the stuff you're going to need for the weeks to come or on the days to come on the trip, you put them there, and if they get there before us, that's fine. But you need a couple of days' worth of stuff in this thing because we're going to get bumped, and I'm going to take it every time. Because I've learned, I've learned this. When, when you know that you're leaving on vacation Monday, and you get off work, say, Friday at 5 o'clock, vacation starts when? 5.01, amen? I mean, you're on, va- and some of you it started like Wednesday before or a couple weeks before. We understand that. But we need to learn that, you know, we, it's not just about the destination. I, I just came to this conclusion, we'll get there eventually. And it'll be okay. And I'll get home eventually, and it'll be okay. Because the destination is not all there is to a trip. The destination is not all that there is when you're coming to a journey or when you're coming to a vacation or when you're even coming to life. And when you think about it, you know, a lot of us as believers, when I was growing up in the church, we would talk a lot about the destination of believers, right? The destination of believers, ultimately, if you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and you believe that that he was the son of God who came and he died on the cross and he was buried and he rose three days later, and that you want to live your life for him, and you ask him into your heart to forgive you of your sins, then what we would always tell people is that if you believe that, then one day you'll die, and you'll go where? Okay, thank you, Isla, for being awake this morning. You need to turn around. The rest of the people behind you aren't quite awake this morning, or you've never been to church. But I've seen you here before, so I want you to know. I know you've been here. So we believe as believers, if you give your life to Christ when you die, you'll go where? Heaven. Okay, and that's absolutely true. We believe that with all our heart. But I would just kind of share with you a little bit of something. When I was growing up in the situation I was in, now it may not be the same for you, we talked so much about heaven that it was almost no earthly good, if that makes any sense. It was kind of like this idea got got put in my head, not not on purpose, but you know, if you'll just live for Christ, if you'll just make it through this world, then if you'll just kind of, oh, one day, then you'll just, ah, oh, when it's all over, you'll be, you'll be in heaven. But I, I began to discover 
as I grew in my faith in Christ and as I grew up a little bit, that, that God wants us to enjoy the journey as well. That God has given us things so that we can, uh, we can take the bump, okay? We can take the value, okay, we'll, we'll stay here a little longer. We'll do what you need to do. We'll enjoy this side of heaven as well because the destination is not all there is to the trip. And when we're packed right and we're prepared right, then we can take those bumps and we can take those sidetracks and we can enjoy the journey just as much as we can enjoy the destination. Now, we've been looking through the book of Acts. Last week, we finished up Acts 15, which kind of ends on I would say at least a challenging note, if not just a little bit of a sad note, because it ends with Paul and Barnabas, and they just parted company. Paul, they came to a disagreement about how they were going to move forward in the journey, and they just parted company. Paul went one way, and Barnabas went another way. Paul picks up Silas and goes, and Barnabas takes someone else, and he goes. And then we pick up the story today in chapter 16, and I want you to see what I'm talking about when, when you look at just being along for the ride as God leads your steps, sometimes it doesn't always go where you think it's going to go, but it can be an amazing journey. It says in Acts 16, starting in verse 1, it says, Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman. But his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him because of the Jews who were in those places. Oh, I'm sorry. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. Now, I'm going to stop right there if you're not familiar with that. What they're just talking about is what just happened in Acts 15. And they were coming to a place of saying, how do these people who are not Jewish live out their faith in Christ? And they came to the conclusion that we're saved by grace alone and that they don't have to follow all the, the rules and regulations of the Jewish people, but that there were just a few certain things that they needed to abstain from to fellowship with the Jews. But basically, they're saved by grace alone and they need to figure out how to live out their lives for Christ as well. So picking it up in verse 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. It says in verse 6, Then they went through uh, the, re the region of Phygeria and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he'd seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It says in verse 11, from Troas, we sailed out to sea straight for Samothrace the next day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in the city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we were expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke with the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, this is a very 
interesting passage right here in the book of Acts because I love it. It's, it's almost like one thing after another of Paul saying, okay, we took off this way and we thought we were going in this direction, but all of a sudden we were going over here and we wanted to go over here, but we couldn't go over here. So then we had to go over to this place. And then I went over there and I met this person and then they invited me to their house to stay. And then it's just one of these, it seems like the most random mission trip ever. It's like he got together with some people and said, hey, we're going to go out on mission. Anybody want to go? Yeah, where are we going? Out north. That's where we're going. I don't know. And he takes off and he starts heading this way. But actually, it's not true. He had some idea of where he wanted to go. But he kept running into some things where, if, where the Lord would kept opening doors and closing doors and leading him. And I know there are times when we talk about that in church that there's some people who go, I don't get that. I don't understand what it means when people are talking about, you know, they're following God with their life and they feel like God's telling them to do this and then they feel like God's telling them to do that. And I've, I've talked with so many people who just look at me sometimes and go, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I, I, I want to follow God with my life, but I don't ever sense that type of stuff. And so I want to talk a little bit today about what, what that looks like to follow God on the journey. It's not just about the destination of where we're going, but, but how to follow God in everyday life and, and how to enjoy the journey on the way and be prepared for that and to hear from God and to go in that way, just like Paul did here. And so the question we're wrestling with this morning is, how do I follow God in my life? Let's say I've, I've come to that place where I realize that, you know, my way is not enough and I, I want to live for God, so I want to follow him. What do I do? Well, I want to step back from this passage for just a second. And I want to just give a, a big umbrella thing, if you, hear, if, you, if you will, with me here this morning. I want to talk about, first of all, the simplest way to put it is how do I follow God in my life? The way that we say it around here a lot is I can live out what the Bible says. I, I, just, I want to live out what the Bible says. God's word has been given to us in the form of Scripture, and, and it tells us about the character of God, it tells us about the will of God. And what we need to understand is that following God means this, is that we need to, we need to know this book, we need to understand this book the best we can. We, it, it's a continual process where we continue to read it, we continue to understand it. But the way that this works is pretty simple. As, as we hear some of these things, whether it's taught to us, whether it's something we read on our own, and we come across something that goes, wait a minute, that's a little bit different than how I've lived my life or that's a little bit different than how I might do things, then you come to this crossroads where you understand that, well, God's word it seems like he's telling me to go this way, but in my heart and in my spirit, I feel like that this is the way to do it. And what we mean by when we say live out what the Bible says, is if you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, when you come to those points in life, then, then you will learn to say, you know what, I know what I'm feeling and I know what I'm thinking, but I'm going to trust God's word and I'm going to trust God's way and I'm going to do it his way. And Jesus, when that, we begin to experience the joy and the blessing of what it is to follow Christ. And Jesus, when he was teaching this, when, when he was alive and on this earth, he taught that the Sermon on the Mount was one of the most famous things that he taught, that talks about all the time. When he comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount after he taught all these things, he tells one story. He tells, he tells this one little illustration about someone who built their house on rock and someone who built their house on sand. And this is what he says in Matthew 7, 24. Through 27, he says, therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and acts on them, those who hear the words of Jesus and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew, and it pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. So here's this overarching umbrella foundational point that I want to make this morning. Is that when we want to follow God in our lives, we say I can live out what the Bible says. And what we see from this passage right here in Matthew is what Jesus tells us is it's not enough just to hear the word of God. You actually have to act on it. And that's what we mean by living out what it is. When, when, when this word tells you something about how you're supposed to act in your relationships, then that's what you do. When this word tells you something about how you're supposed to be a better employer or a better employee, then that's what you do. When this word tells you something about being a, a child or a parent or a teacher, or a, then that's what you do. When it tells you how to manage your finances, then that's what you do. That's what we mean by this. It's not, you don't just come and hear it and say, well, if I get close enough to it, maybe it'll rub off on me. No. The, the way this works is it's real simple. When, when you start putting this word of God into your life, then you want to live this out. And as you live it out, then God will lead you on this journey of life. Now, I love what that passage in Matthew says. It says that for both people, whether you act on the word of God or whether you don't act on the word of God, the rains fell, the water rose, and it crashed against the house. See, a lot of people think, well, if I give my life to Christ, then the rain won't fall, the water won't rise, and nothing will come. No, it just says that as you go through this life, and you hit a detour, or you hit a, you hit a bump in the road, then you're going to have something to hold on to. You're going to have a rock and a foundation that's going to walk with you through this life. So in general, what we mean when we say what it means to follow God, it means that you come to the place where you say God's way is best, and I'm going to live the rest of my life trying to take all the things that I've done and learned and transform myself and change myself into a person that lives out what his word says. And so let's look at this example of what we see from Paul in Acts 16. In Acts 16, I think we have a, a microcosm of an example of what it means to just live out the word of God. And here's the first thing I want, you, want us to see from Paul's example. It's this. I can take step one without worrying about step two and beyond. I can take step one without worrying about step two and beyond. Let's just be honest. We all get frozen at times. Because we have this, well, if I do that, then, and then you just fill in the blank. We come to this place where we go, wow, I, I, I really sense I, that God's leading me to do this. And then we follow that up with this phrase of, but if I do that, and we're trying to figure all the steps out. And remember, like I said, Paul's mission trip was north. <laughs> Actually, it was over and around and then on a ship that went over, but that's different, Okay. But it was just, we're just going to go. I love the very first few words of Acts 16. Paul went on. That's the first three words of Acts chapter 16. Paul went on. It followed probably a very heartbreaking thing in his life where he had just lost one of the most significant relationships, though temporarily we know, but he had just been through a very difficult time with someone he loved very dearly, and it led him to a very difficult place. But the first three words of Acts 16, Paul went on. Let's just be honest. When difficulties happen in our life, when change happens, when, when stuff comes up, whether we want to or not, life continues to move on. But we can choose to say, I, I'm just going to move on from this 
if, if we put ourselves in that place. And so we see from Paul's example of those things did not go the way that he thought that they were going to go. And we're talking about a godly man who's pursuing God with all he has, who wants to do great things for God. He, he has these great and grand ideas of what he would like to do to spread the gospel and to encourage people and to see people come to Christ. And then it doesn't go the way that he thought it would go. And then those three little words, I think, are just key for us. Paul went on. We're going to have to just choose at times when difficulties come in our life to just get up and move on. And so Matthew 6.34, I think, kind of sums it up in this way. It says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can, you, can I just stop there for just a minute? You want to know why I try to stand up here and tell people to live out what God's word says? Because it's real. Can you, did you see those words? God's word just tells us, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have its own set of issues, right? Don't try to solve tomorrow's issues. Step one without worrying about step two and beyond, and, and, and let's just, just go. And so what we mean by this, take step one without worrying about step two and beyond. Let me just ask you this question. What can you do as soon as this worship service is over that is a step in the right direction of following God? What's the best decision that you can make? What can you do this afternoon? What can you do this evening? What can you do tomorrow? Don't put it off. Take step one without worrying about step two and beyond. Well, where's this going to lead or what's going to go? That's what Paul did. Paul went on. And he went on this incredible journey. And we go on to this, and I, I want to point this out because I think it's very interesting. And some of you, if you've been following along with us, you may catch that, wow, there's something here that may not match up with what just happened. It says that Paul went on. And there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but father was Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him, and Paul wanted Timothy to go with him on this trip. So he took him and circumcised him. Now hold on a minute. Didn't we just have in Acts 15 this whole debate over that if people are going to be followers of Christ, well, then if they're, if they're you're not Jewish, then they don't have to do all the things that you did. So this circumcision, why, why did this have to happen? Well, let me to my next point, okay? The next point that if we're going to learn from Paul's example, then you have to learn that following Christ, you can take step one without worrying about step two. But then the next thing you need, you need to learn to think things over. Think it over. Think it over. Engage your brain. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. That's something you, you may not know without digging a little bit. It says right here that, Timothy's mom was Jewish, and his dad was Gentile. So in the Jewish law, he was considered a Jew. But because his dad was a Gentile and he was raised that way, he was not ever circumcised. So this was an exception to the rule. This was something that was out here going, now wait a minute, we just had this debate about Jews and Gentiles, and now we got a guy who's a Jewtile. I mean, what are we going to do with this guy, okay, because he's, he's both. And so Paul says, I, I'm going to think this through. And for the sake of not offending anyone else along the way, I want Timothy to come. But, Timothy, we're going to ask you to go above and beyond the letter of the law here. And so we're going to ask you to be circumcised so that you can go on this trip, so that you don't offend the Jews. Everything in Paul's heart, I guarantee, will tell you he knows that he doesn't have to do this. It is not a requirement by God 
to do this. But Paul is using his brain. And Paul is saying, I want to take this person on a trip, but what's the best way that I can do this? Can I just tell you something? We must learn to follow Jesus intellectually as well as emotionally. A relationship with Christ is not designed to be applied like a balm when, we're, when we need something that's soothing just to cool our hearts and go. It, we need to think through what it means to follow Christ. If we're going to live out our faith in that way. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must use our brains. We have to be of where we are in life, where we are in context and the circumstances that are around us. And we have to determine what are the best and right choices in the context for this day. And so that's why Paul came to this place where he said, look, the best thing in this context is for, for you to be circumcised, Timothy, so we don't have any trouble along on our trip. That was an incredibly intellectual decision. That was someone who was aware of his surroundings and his context and who made an incredibly smart and wise decision. See, I think there's people out there that think, well, when we follow Christ, we take logic and we just kind of throw it off to the side. But that's not true at all. You see, to me, following Jesus Christ is one of the most logical decisions you could ever make. Because if I truly believe that there's a God out there who created everything, he created me. And when he created everything, he said it was good and it was right. But then sin entered the world, and I understand that I'm broken. Then I understand some things, that I view the world through a broken head and through a broken view. But there's a God who created everything, and he put it in order, and he started in a direction, and he did that for his glory and for my good. And I understand that I am a finite and limited person who worships and believes in a God who is infinite and big and glorious. So the most logical decision I can ever make is that when I run up against something, and God should do things this way, and the limited, limited, all-knowing, omnipotent God is saying we should do things this way, and the limited, little, tiny Lindell is over here going, no, I think we should do it right. And the most logical thing that I could do would be to trust the person who knows more than I do. It, it might not be emotionally fun, but logically it makes perfect sense. To trust that if you believe that there's a God and he tells us to do something a different way, then, then we do it his way. That's what Paul was doing. He's thinking it over. He's using his brain to go along this journey. And we have a promise from God. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us this, that his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That means this, that, that God has given us everything you need to enjoy the journey. It's not just about the destination, but that God's given us everything we need in our context at the right time to do the right things along the journey. doesn't mean that the rain's not going to come and the water's not going to rise. It just means that he's going to give us what you need at the time. And so we have to learn to stop sometimes and look at our context. And I know this is difficult at times, not just in an emotional sense, but sometimes we just have to stop and think, God, why am I here? What are you doing? What's the next best step? How, how, do I, how do I do this? Okay? And then the next thing that we see from Paul, not only was he thinking it over, but he was tuned into the Spirit. And so we need to learn to tune in to the Spirit of God. We need to learn to tune into the Spirit of God. Now, this is where some people are going, all right, hold on, Pastor. That's what I was talking about earlier. I, I don't get that. I don't understand how to do that. Well, what, do you, what do you mean with that? I just want to show some examples in here. 
verses 6 and 7. They went through the region of Phygeria and Galatia, and they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Can I just say something as a pastor and as a believer? I go, hold on a minute. They were forbidden to go on a mission trip? You're telling me, God, that these people wanted to do great things, but they were forbidden to go. Can I just tell you sometimes, God, the all-knowing, big creator, God, knows that we have some good ideas in place, but he has some God ideas in place. And sometimes he just changes our good ideas. It's not this right-wrong thing all the time. Sometimes it's just this prompting and tuning into the spirit to go, okay, we're not, we're not going there. So it says, we don't know what that looked like. We just know that they say that the Spirit of God kept us from going to Asia. It says in verse 7, when they came to Mysia, they tried to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What? They're still trying to do this thing. They're, they're trying to move on. They have no idea what the end of this journey is. They're trying to move for God. And on the way, God just keeps opening doors and closing doors and opening doors and closing doors. Now, I'm just going to say this. Learning to discern which doors to walk through in life. It's just challenging. It's challenging. Sometimes you have to walk through a door to realize, oops, <laughs> shouldn't walk through that door. Sometimes we so desperately want to walk through some of these doors that we're just beating at the door and it's just, it's closed and we don't do that. And we have to learn to tune into the Spirit of God. Well, how do we do that? I'm just telling you, there's, there's no simple solution there. There's no quick solution for this. It just, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. You know, I use this illustration all the time, but I've now been married to Julie for 28 years. We dated for three years before that. I've spent well over half my life getting to know this person. We're pretty tuned in now. You know, there's some things that we do, and I look, and, and she's walking in the back, right, as I'm talking about her. And, and I, we look in, and, and sometimes I can just look at her and go, oh, she's mad. And everybody goes, she looks so lovely. I'm like, no, she's mad, you know, because I'm tuned in, you know. Or I, can, I know what kind of things frustrate her, and I know what kind of things make her happy, and I know you can just kind of tell why, because I'm tuned in. And here's, the only, here's how I got tuned in. I spent a lot of time with her over 31 years. There's your secret. I, I wish we could just wave a magic wand, and you could come to Christ today and all of a sudden discern these things. But look, nothing will ever take the place of you spending time in God's word and in prayer. And just pouring your heart out to God and being still before him and listening to him from his word. That's how you start to tune into the spirit of God. And at first, it's going to be like an old AM radio with a lot of static and a lot of, a lot of noise. But then over time, it'll, it'll just clear up and it'll get there. But Proverbs 16.9 gives us this word as well. It says, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. We have to trust that God is determining the steps in life. And even though there's some things that are happening that tend to put us in a different place than where we thought that we would be or where we wanted to go, even if where we think that we're wanting to go is something great for God, we need to just understand that he's leading us in the right direction. And the last thing I want us to point out this morning about Paul's example for us is this, is that we need to learn to listen to the counsel of other believers. We need to learn to listen to the counsel of other believers. Now listen. This doesn't mean that other believers are always right. I'm just going to tell you that. And it certainly doesn't mean that because I'm a pastor, I know how to tell you what to do in life. That does not mean that at all. It doesn't count for me. It doesn't count for any other pastor. I just thought I'd tell you that. But it does mean this, that there are people on this earth that have walked a lot of life, 
as a believer in Christ. And when you're struggling with some things, you can begin to go to them and go, how, how do you walk through stuff like this? And you can begin to take that counsel of other believers and you can begin to put it together. And sometimes you can put some pieces together to determine, oh, this is what God is saying and, and doing. And so we need to learn to listen to the counsel of other believers. Look at this, Acts 16.10. I, I want you to notice this, Acts 16.10. It's talking about Paul. Luke is writing the book. It says, after he had seen the vision. Who saw the vision? Paul. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Did you catch that? Paul had a word. He went to the people he's traveling with and said, this is what I'm seeing. And then they got together and as a group started going, you know what? We feel like God is leading us in this direction. That was the counsel of other believers. Verse 15, we see it again. It says, after Lydia, after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come stay at my house. And she persuaded us. It's the counsel of other believers saying, look, don't do it this way. Paul went on this trip. Nowhere on his agenda was there stay at Lydia's house. That wasn't written down before the trip. It was as he was on the way, there were other believers who spoke into his life and said, let's do this this way. So I just want you to understand this. When you are on this journey of faith in Christ, you're not on your own. Faith is to be lived out in community. That's why we come together and we worship together. And even greater, that's, that's why we offer groups as one way to do that. It's not the end all for that. But we just believe it's so important for you to find some group of believers that you can live life with. Because it's the counsel of other believers that will help us at times navigate some of these things in life that we're facing all the time. And ultimately, we need to remember that when we choose to follow God in this way, then we're following God in a way that gives him glory, but it's for our good as well. So God never intended to put you on this earth to be uber independent. He, he put you on this earth to, to enjoy his creation, to fellowship with him, to live for his glory, and to do that in a community of faith with other people. And so he, he, he gives us other believers that help us along the way. Can I just tell you something quite honestly? There's no way in the world I could do what I do in my life without the counsel of other believers. Not, there's no way I could do that. Whether it be just parenting, or whether it be pastoring, or whether it be breathing, it doesn't matter. I could not do that without the counsel of other believers. But hear me on this. It's not just one of these things. It's all of these things that we do for the journey. We listen to the counsel of other believers. We tune in to the Spirit of God. We think things over. We use our brain as a believer. And we just take step one without worrying about what step two is. That's, that's what it looks like. And ultimately, we'll, we'll realize along the way that we're living life as following God in a way that's going to bring him glory. It's going to be for our good. And it's going to be the best way that we can imagine. Because I want you to get this. I say this before. I'm going to say this again. Because living for God is something I do, not something I don't. Okay? We're just going to close with this thought. Living for God is something I do, not something I, do, I don't. You know, a lot of times we, we think that, well, if I'm going to follow Christ, then I've got to stop this, and I've got to not do this, and I won't do that. And I gotta, you know, living for Christ is something you do. 
It's not something you don't. And so you just need to focus on what do I do. And I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again to close. We're about to pray. We're going to have a response time. We're going to give opportunity for people to go to groups. And then here in a little bit, you're going to leave this church. What are you going to do? What's the best step one that you can take as you leave this place? What's the best step one that you can take in a response time? Maybe God's calling you to, to give your life to him this morning. Maybe God is calling you to take that step of faith to say, I want to become a believer in Christ. Maybe God's calling you to take a further step in a faith that you already have, and you've been thinking about the, but if I do this, and maybe today you just need to say, I'm going to take step one and quit worrying about what's going to happen after that.